Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark Liss, coming at you today. Before we get into it, um, actually, I want to remind you that the Primary Care Pod at gmail.com inbox exists. Um, but I don't have any jokes there from anybody today. Um, I don't, I don't, nobody sent me anything this week. Um, so I, I, I did want to tell a funny story um, or an unfortunate story, I guess, um, about what happened recently in my own life. Um, it was my wife's birthday recently, and she was really, really specific on what she wanted for her birthday. So, I, you know, this is kind of a, a warning for all the men out there about, you know, especially maybe your young guys who are, you know, just out of practice or just out of residency or just starting a new practice. And my wife was pretty clear about what she wanted for her birthday. So um, I, I took her out and we have this, this nearby apple orchard. Um, it's a family grown farm. It's really nice. Um, and so we went out there and we're out there in the orchard and we're looking at trees and we're standing there for about an hour, you know, just, just taking it all in, enjoying ourselves. I thought we were enjoying ourselves, but she got really, really, really mad. Um, apparently that's not the Apple watch that she was expecting. All right, let's start the podcast. So, uh, oops. Um, I think I accidentally deleted my, uh, theme song, um, that I recorded a long time ago in my, uh, bedroom closet. So I think I have to, uh, download, uh, or sorry, make a new one. Cause, uh, you know, this is a super duper professional podcast and nothing that I just throw together on my own. And, uh, yeah, yikes. So sorry, uh, no theme song this week. I, uh, I gotta figure out, uh, how to fix that. So, um, I'll probably have to make some new stuff, I guess. Okay. We'll try and figure it out. Sorry. Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, pod girls, pod boys, pod people. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List, uh, coming at you with an up, another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. Um, that story, by the way, that did not take place. That's that's not a real thing. Um, oh, you're going to hear some clicking. Hold on. I accidentally, um, I, I had my dragon uh, mic open, and so it started popping up that I was trying to talk in the dragon. Get out of here, dragon. Yeah, get out. Okay. Professional podcast, people. Professional. Um, okay, so. Oh, also, uh, that is not an advertisement for Dragon. Um, although, Nuance, if you want to give me some money, I will do an advertisement for Dragon. Okay, uh, great product. Hooray. Yay. Okay. Um, so, this is an article that I want to talk about today, which is really sobering. Um, and, gosh, potentially very practice-changing for me. Um, the article actually was from this week's JAMA. And I'm not a huge JAMA fan. If you have to look at um, magazines in terms of their impact for primary care, JAMA is like lowest of the lowest um, of the kind of general medicine practice articles, Um, especially if you're mostly doing outpatient family medicine. Um, I guess if you do a lot more hospital work, maybe there's some more relevance to your practice. But there's a lot of things, uh, you know, not doing OB too, uh, just kind of that general um, internal medicine slash family medicine outpatient practice. JAMA is usually not very helpful. So this is from August 3rd of this year, and the article title is Association of Dose Tapering with Opioids, uh, sorry, with Overdose or Mental Health Crises Among Patients Prescribed Long-Term Opioids. And this is obviously a a huge topic in primary care because uh, opioids and and long-term 
prescriptions of opioids are, gosh, really a controversial topic. Um, they're one of my least favorite things to do in all of medicine. Um, and for the longest time, for basically about the past decade, I have felt very justified in my stance on them. And that is, don't start them if people are on them. Try to come off them, slowly taper them off, because many studies have shown that quality of life improves, that pain control actually isn't any better with opioids, but people just um, get on opioids and the opioids make them, quote unquote, kind of um, feel better-ish, feel less pain, but overall then they end up having more pain issues. Um, there is a great editorial that went along with the with this article in JAMA that was written by uh, Mark LaRochelle and Paju Lagicetti, um and Amy uh, Bonert, Bainert, uh, I, I'm gonna butcher those names. Um, but basically, uh, so they, they write that evidence has emerged in the past 10 years that opioid analgesics, especially at higher doses or when combined with hypnotics are associated with opioid related harms, including overdose, uh, opioid overdose and death. Um, and, mo and many cities have raised questions about efficacy regarding opioids. Um, there's been many trials that basically show that opioids uh, aren't any better than non-opioid pain medicines for many types of pain issues, um, including arthritis and, and, and hip pain and things like that, back pain, chronic low back pain. So this is, this is not the first time that this has been brought up about, okay, people should be tapered. Um, this is um, in 2016, I believe, uh, there was a task force. Let me, let me flip over the article here because they talk about it um, from the CDC in 2016, which basically re recommended against high-dose long-term opioids and managing chronic pain, um, recommended uh, a dose tapering, especially when harms of continued therapy outweigh the perceived benefits for individual patients. And this has been widely kind of discussed as, well, when patients are abusing opioids, when they're at risk for overdoses, when they are um, taking other medications and the risk for overdose is high or the risk for complications such as falls or uh, potential associated fractures or um, over sedation or respiratory uh, distress or sorry, respiratory depression for like COPD patients and people with respiratory issues. Um, and so this has been in the past 10 years associated with a lot fewer opioids being prescribed, a lot more people being tapered off opioids. And in general, in my own practice, uh, the people that end up staying with me after they taper off opioids, because when I have people come to me, they're new patients, I usually say, well, here's my platform, here's what I feel about chronic pain. I want to get you on the lowest dose possible. Um, I'm going to try and tape you, you know, as as little as much as possible. Um, I'm not going to prescribe you both benzoids and opioids at the same time. Um, we've talked in this podcast before that tramadol, um, while thought of about being less addictive, is just as uh, troublesome in terms of like people can still get hooked on tramadol just as much as as hydrocodone. Um, maybe it's less strong or less risk for uh, overdose, but that's a question mark. That's not even been proven. It's not a great medicine to begin with. And, you know, especially in my practice where a lot of my people are old and have a lot of comorbidities, I always tell people like, okay, there are severe, severe risks about doing this therapy. I strongly recommend against it. I try never to start them. I think I've started three patients on chronic long-term opioids. Um, obviously, if they're undergoing like surgery or cancer-related issues, I, I will do it. I will do it for people with end-of-life care um, very routinely. And even, you know, post-surgery, post-injury, I've even done it. But obviously, there's an end in sight, and it's not a long-term ongoing issue. Okay, so enough about me, though. The article, though, right? So, okay, okay, to finish my background on this, and that is the, for a long time here, for almost a decade, we've, we've, we've consistently been told from study after study and task force and guideline and guideline that 
opioids are bad. And we should, if people are on opioids, we should try to taper them off, uh, slow taper, but taper them off and patients will will be, will be almost always benefit from that, um, especially if they have any high-risk features such as opioid use disorders or other drug use, et cetera, okay? Um, you know, classically, if they fail a drug test, they're supposed to have their opioids, you know, a discussion about whether we remove them off opioids. For, exa- for example, that's kind of the classic mantra that I was always taught in medical school, that, you know, they risk for if they're taking multiple other substances. If they're taking benzos off the street, then obviously they can't have opioids. Um, some people, will, if they tested positive for marijuana, would take their patients off opioids, etc. Um, and your own feelings on these things can vary. And uh, again, um, at least the data had all looked in the last 10 years like, it was trending in a way that opioids were more harmful than good. Well, now this is a really, 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 like I said earlier, a sobering, and they use the term alarming in the study, and I agree with that. Um, look at what are the real costs of tapering, and not just like discontinuing, right? And to be very clear in here, some some of these patients discontinued, but many it was just a taper. A, 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 they were included in the study if there was over a 15% reduction in their dose of their medicines over this in this period, um, defined as a 15% relative reduction in the mean daily dose during any of the, last, the six overlapping 60-day windows within a seven-month follow-up period. Okay, basically anybody who's being tapered or has a reduction for any reason, right? And that's we'll get into that into the complication of the study. But here are the scary things: overdoses. Overdose events at baseline, in the baseline people who are not tapered. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get into the, before we get into the data, I, I, I did this wrong. Uh, this is a retrospective cohort study. They looked at over 100,000 patients, okay? Um, in the one group that had the taper, uh, there were 29,000 patients. In the no taper, there was 84,000 patients. The period of time uh, that they followed then uh, was variable. Um, Sorry, not variable. Ha, it was a database that they looked at over a 12-year period, okay? Um, And the big, 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 big take-home point, though, is they had two primary outcomes, right? Number one, number of overdoses, overdose events, right? Um, And then that could either wind up in the ER or wind up in the hospital. And then the second trigger was mental health crises, okay? And mental health crises were defined as... um, a composite outcome for emergency uh, department visits and or behavioral health admission or hospital admissions for depression, anxiety, or suicide attempts. Okay, so it's pretty significant uh, mental health crises um, of type events, okay? And at baseline, okay, the group that was not tapered had 5.5 events per 100 patient years, okay? But the overdoses increased in patients going undergoing any tapering of their opioids up to 9.3 events per 100 person year. So in per 100 person year terms, that's a number needed to harm about 25. Okay, that is that is really scary. Okay, that's a that's a big number. And some of those overdoses attempts, it was, uh, we'll get into the complications of the study or my, my critiques of the study later, but obviously the, some of those can be deadly and that can be, you know, the worst outcome, right? Um, number two, mental health crisis events went from 3.3 events and went all the way up to 7.6 events. Again, a number needed to harm of around 25. Um, a basically 228% relative increased risk of events. Um, pretty, pretty alarming. Uh, overdose events, uh, a relative increase of 168%. Um, alarming, because this is something that, you know, 
I've been on board with that studies have all pointed to being, uh, you know, that most people don't benefit on opioids and actually benefit from tapering off opioids overall in terms of their overall pain scores aren't that bad. Their loss of functioning based on the actual scientific data says it's, you know, not necessarily worse or at least not inferior. Um, there's, you know, especially in, when comparing opioid therapy compared to multi-modular pain clinics that have physical therapy and acupuncture and counseling and all these other things, injections that you can do instead of opioids. Um, in fact, most people in those, those, in those studies actually do better. Um, this is really scary. This is really, really terrifying data from, this is practice changing for me and people that come to me as new patients, um, that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. That means that we have to be really careful, right? Because when you're tapering, you're tapering because the risks and the benefits, the data says, well, the risks of being on opioid therapy are higher than people that, that, that are, the risks are worse than the benefits. Okay. Because we've seen that benefits can be done differently. Okay. But this is really alarming too, because some of the people that are highest risk for the events, are people that have a history of opioid use disorders, right? So the people that, you know, are breaking pain contracts and getting, filling multiple prescriptions, these are the people who, you know, probably need to, you know, get off these the most, have the highest rates of then overdosing on, you know, probably illegal street opioids, their own opioids, uh, looking at riskier behaviors then most likely, they didn't, they didn't dig into the details of that of this with the study. Um, People that have uh, co-prescribed benzodiazepines, again, 30% of the people in the study basically were being prescribed both a, an opioid and a benzo. Again, that, that's the type of patients we're dealing with. That's the type of population we're dealing with. But, oh boy, you know, the super, super dangerous high-risk groups here. 16% um, not just had opioid uh, use disorder, but any drug use disorder. Um, Comorbid, 3% have alcohol use disorder. At 10% of these patients, or sorry, 9.5% of these patients at baseline have psychosis as part of their differential. So, I mean, these are super duper high risk patients. Um, so, the take home is that the one benefit is that in these studies, there's a figure two in this, in this if you're looking at this um, following along or had your JAMA open, um, that these adjusted rates for not only overdoses and mental health crises the faster percent that you wean them off, the higher the rate. And that makes sense, right? We expect people to overdose, expect people to have more anxiety, um, more suicidal like ideation when they have very rapid withdrawals. I, I would never taper somebody off 50% reduction um, in the course of kind of the, this month by month, right? So this is a, the, 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 the quartiles that they're looking at, these groups are looking at are the maximum monthly dose percentage reduction. And in some of these groups, they're talking like a 50% reduction in one month. Okay, I, that, now that's crazy. I've always heard 10%. In the studies, 10% still had decently high and definitely elevated levels of mental health crises and overdoses compared to baseline. I mean, significantly higher. But going less than 10% reduction in velocity of how you taper them off. So if they're on, you know, 40 uh, of oxy daily um, going to 36 the next month would be a 10% reduction. So maybe going 38 the next month. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just spitballing here. Um, but doing a smaller, less than 10% reduction per month in terms of what they're being prescribed would has significant, significant fewer events. Um, I, I talked about at baseline, uh, baseline non-tapered patients on chronic opioids 
had an incidence rate of 5.5, but in the lowest, in the in the slowest wean-off group, that that drug overdose rate was only about six, just under six actually. Um, so that's that's really good, right? That's that's getting close to almost having your your normal patient population kind of risk for overdose. Um, and again, another reason to get people off long-term opioids because they have a 5.5 event per 100 patient year um, risk for overdose, uh, and that's just your chronic stable patients. Um, mental, health, mental health crises, I said at baseline, that was, that number was 3.3 um, events per 100,000 100, person years. This was like 3.6, 3.7 in that range. So again, probably the answer, the take home for this study is Yes, there are real legitimate issues that I hadn't even considered. I hadn't seen this data before. I'd seen it on veterans, but never for the whole population and a big population and a big N number like this. Um, very scary data on, on taking people off their opioids, especially scary if you do it rapidly. Um, less than 5% per month is probably the best bet. So, you know, you take their, probably the best plan is no matter who the patient, no matter the reason, no matter what the cause, if you're trying to taper off them or you're tapering, um, we'll talk about that, but um, put a pin in that. Um, If you're tapering somebody off, probably less than 10% per month is probably your goal and just do it very slowly and very long. Um, in my personal experience, when I started doing this with patients, I had a huge number of these patients just leave and go to a different medical provider. Um, and so then I, I started them on a month taper and then they never came back for month two because they went to a new provider. I've seen that. Uh, that happens a lot. So probably the best bet that my take home from this is, okay, if I do continue it, because again, there is risks of this long-term, these mental health crises, these overdoses, there is a baseline risk in this patient population but less than 10% reduction in monthly mortality doesn't seem to be that much higher risk versus even a 10%, which is my baseline, is a significantly higher rate at baseline compared to um, just keeping them on their meds um, in, a, in a very scary way, um, very scary number. And, and even higher than that, going faster than that reduction is is going to set yourself up for some failure, a lot of failure and a lot of, a lot of harms. So when we, when we talk about our patient... We talk about our patient populations. We always talk about patient-oriented outcomes, the poos. I like to talk about those. This is a patient-oriented outcome, right? How can we get them off their opioids, get them a better quality of life, if that's the appropriate thing that you and your patient have discussed? Can you just reduce the medicine and then keep them on a stable dose? Is that more appropriate? If you do taper them off and you're slowing down, make sure you are doing it incredibly slowly. Um, even if you know they fail a pain contract, even if they have an opioid use disorder, those are the highest risk people for these events slowing down and having good conversations, good discussion, I think is the way to do this. Um, I, I want to talk about some of the mistakes of the study. Number one, and yes, this does have to do with, you know, who lives in urban areas and who lives in rural settings, but rural healthcare um, is near and dear to my heart coming from rural Nebraska, originally where I grew up, and, you know, where there aren't big specialists and there aren't, you know, family docs are doing all this stuff everywhere and for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half around where I grew up. And, they only had in the study, 2.5% of people were rep, were were um, from rural areas in the study, which that's, and even some small town, there's only 5% from small town areas. And, you know, 85%, 84%, 83% of patients were from metropolitan areas. So this probably doesn't apply to your patient population. If you're listening to this from a rural setting, uh, if you are, a, 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 you know, one of those rural settings and small town family docs doing everything, um, so this study does have its limitations in terms of the patient populations. Um, they did not specify um, 
why it was removed, right? Because patients have more motivation and have less, we know patients have better outcomes when they themselves are the reason why they want to get off opioids. If they come in and they say, okay, I need to come out, I, I wanna lower my dose or I wanna get off these. Um, when patients bring that up and it's patient directed, then the outcomes are always better compared to physician-directed withdrawals and tapers. Um, that, that data is very clear across the board, and this does not that, that did not delineate um, that, that did not sub-segment those people, so we don't know um, the exact numbers on those. So, yeah, I mean, there's... Also, you know, I think it's important the fact that this study didn't even talk about the fact that that okay, if you, if you reduce the monthly dose by less than 10%, your rates aren't that much higher than the baseline. I thought that should have been a major highlight of this study. And again, whether they were biased because they had a, a different set of goals in mind, whether they, they wanted to have a very specific, um, again, their conclusions are, among patients with prescribed stable long-term high-dose opioid therapy, tapering events were significantly associated with increased risk of overdose and mental health crises. Although these findings raise questions about the potential harms of tapering, interpretation is limited by observational study design. Again, I think the bigger concern is like, you, you in your own study, you have an outcome that isn't that much worse than your baseline. In fact, it's very, very close, and I'd be interested to see if that was statistically significant um, from, from baseline, and I don't have that data. Um, if it was statistically significant um, compared to your um, your stable patients, if that lowest percentile reduction, and so maybe that's our answer: is that here in the study, hidden in the here in the hidden in the data, is our answer, and that is okay. If you are going to wean off patients, and it is a good thing in mo in many cases, not in most cases, in many cases, um, it can be a good option. You have to do it slowly. Um, so again, I went way longer than I normally do. Um, I talked for over 20 minutes. You guys all get your money back today. Um, sorry, uh, your check's in the mail. Um, I, I think it is important though to remember that this is a very in, a very important topic. It's a very important thing to have good patient-centered conversations about, about the pros and cons of continuing. In some cases, the patients don't get to be the driver of this, especially if they've proven they can't handle or are at super duper high risks of having events but it needs to be handled um, in a very, very cautious manner. Um, in the editorial, they talk about that clinicians should consider a, a multi-pronged plan of attack um, for treating the patient's pain with, you know, patients who you're taking off opioids, especially those with opioid use disorder. Confirm therapeutic alliance in the patient, meaning, yes, we both have the same goal. We want you to be functional. We want you to have as less pain as possible. Getting to zero pain is not is not reasonable and it should not be your goal. It's not my goal, but get you to a spot where you can be functional and live with this pain at a lower level than what you're at now. That's the goal, right? That's the therapeutic alliance. Number two, consider a slow taper over several months rather than several weeks. Yeah, based on the data, that's pretty obvious. Institute harm reduction measures to reduce risk during tapering, um, meaning like talking with family, talking with friends, having a, a resource for the patient to call, having a clinic-wide resources for these patients to reach out to, getting other people involved like counselors and, and social workers. Um, I'm adding those pieces, but I think that's what they mean by this. And four, engage the patient in shared decision-making around an opioid use diagnosis and management plan. These are the hardest. Uh, back when I worked at a federally funded healthcare center, um, the patients that did not want to admit that they had an opioid use disorder were by far the hardest patients besides like bipolar, bipolar and then borderline patients to deal with. Um, uncontrolled bipolars. I have tons of bipolars that are stable that are, are great patients. Um, borderlines that are 
out of out of control borderlines and opioid use disorder patients that refuse to admit that they have a problem, those are the hardest patients, at least that I had to deal with. I'm sure all of you are like nodding along in the car or on your on your workout right now. Like, yeah, those people are, I see them on my schedule and I get like anxiety in the pit of my stomach just seeing them on my schedule. Um, or you get a phone call and you're like, oh God, what's now? Um, but these, again, really important topic for primary care, uh, really uh, nearly practice changing for me, especially the rate of reduction of opioid tapering for me, um, seeing that I'm actually very much harming patients, very much so, with a 10% per month taper of chronic long-term stable opioids. Um, and I need to be less aggressive with that. And I need to accept the fact that we are going to have to go even slower than I want to. Um, you're just going to have to deal with it um, because this absolutely is patient-oriented outcomes that matter. Um, this this absolutely is something that is practice changing for me anyways. So hopefully it was as practice changing for you as it is for me. Hopefully it was as educational and enlightening that um, tapering I've always thought tapering was great. It still is probably beneficial for most patients or a big chunk of patients, but I mean, some big time harms that we just can't ignore this real data. And and maybe then flips the switch and says, okay, no, you're stable and you're at low risk for any of these issues and complications. Well, then maybe we just stay at our therapeutic dose. Hard to tell. Uh, obviously very gray zone of medicine, very difficult decision-making, um, but at least I'll address it with more data in my back pocket. So remember, you don't need to stay up all night, stay up all up to date. This has been Dr. Mark List. Have a great week or two or three whenever I see you next. Um, got some fun plans for the next couple episodes that are a little bit different. Uh, hopefully you enjoy them. Thanks. Bye.